Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sim Sundays podcast. This episode will be part two of Darren Cox's uh, very, very interesting interview about his life story, which touches us all in different ways. But before we uh, before we dive into part two of that interview, I am joined as always by George Morgan and a random call sign. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Or afternoon. I guess you can't really say good morning or afternoon on a podcast. You have to kind of respect the fact that people are listening at any time of day or night right but it's yep. 10 a.m yeah, yeah. yeah anyway so there is not a huge amount to discuss in terms of the breadth of news stories today we've got two rumors for f1 one sim rela- uh, sim racing related one non-sim racing related which we will skip over briefly george yeah uh and then obviously we'll get into the the meat of um the conversation which will be about Le Mans Ultimate, which obviously came out in uh, in early access. But before all of that, Curveball, what do you guys know about iRacing's Exocross? What? <laughs> <laughs> that was a curveball I was not expecting. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Okay, I, right. Okay, so I purposely didn't, because obviously before we start recording, we usually have a bit of a chinwag and, you know, mm. how's your mother and how's, how's it all going yeah, yeah. and whatnot. And I purposely didn't She's bring fine, it up because... That... <laughs> Thank you, George. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring it up, right, because I've been watching um, the news about this game for quite a long time, and I think it looks absolutely epic, and yet no one is talking about it. So if you bring up um i racing exocross on, on google you'll you'll find what looks like it, it almost looks like it's mad max set in space but it's done by the guys behind i racing um i just looked at Ricardo steve myers has recently done an interview on race department about it now the cars look amazing the game looks incredible um if they if this if this feels as good as iRacing does, then I think this could be quite big news for sim racing. I think this could be the first proper crossover between sim racing and gaming, i.e. people who are good at sim racing would automatically be good at this game because it's physics-based, right? So you'd be, you, you would be able to transfer those skills across and have an advantage. But it's not taking itself too serious. It is a game. You know, it's... it's it, it, Okay, it, it's going to have a physics model. It's going to be a simulation-ish, but I mean, it's based on in space. So there's only so much it can simulate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to bring that out there. I've, I'm going to mark this episode here as the first time that we've discussed it. And I expect in the coming year, we're going to discuss this game more and more because uh, it excites me. It excites yeah, me. And, I mean, maybe I'm in a minority. Maybe I'm just being weird. I mean, Tom, I, I, I've spoken to Nathan Tague in the past uh, and he's been sort of touting this horn now for quite some time that that sim racing has the ability of doing stuff that obviously real life motorsport can't um you know almost expand on what we currently have uh you know the the beauty of sim you know related stuff and, and obviously gaming is that you can sort of break boundaries so i mean yeah mm. i mean it, it could definitely be a success uh, but at the same time obviously i think the importance of those nuances where we sort of stick to the norm it kind of i think raises the profile of the game so it could go either way i think yeah no i think you're totally right i think it's a very delicate tightrope to walk um to try and appeal to to you know 
two very different crowds because I, I don't know i wonder how what percentage of sim racers would you know identify as gamers because i think there's a lot of people that are motorsport fans who are there who have then got into sim racing and only do sim racing there's a lot of people who will do simulation so they'll do racing and yeah. flight sim um, and and you know i'm not saying it's a minority not by any stretch of the imagination a lot of people also play other other games but i think out of all the sectors of gaming we do seem to have a larger than proportionate group of people that only do this particular sector of um of gaming and i wonder i don't know i look at this game and i think hmm i wonder if this is where the lines start to blur which would be which would be cool which would be a mm. great thing you can ask yourself how many sim racers play track mania and how many play gran turismo it won't be many mm. Mm. interesting interesting okay well we've 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 noted it okay and we'll see if uh, we'll see if this becomes a big thing that i think it might it might not it might not um okay before we jump into the uh the crux of the issue this week um f1 2024 um there was a rumor um that has been reported on quite widely that the release date will be 31st of may so 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 three three months not too not too bad it's earlier than than usual george morgan our resident f1 expert might have some insider information wink twice for yes (laughs) i have zero information for you tom i I mean i'll be honest it was it was kind of news to me uh when it popped up on social media but um i I kind of um i'm I'm not necessarily surprised in, in many ways just due to the mere fact that i think this is going to be a new chapter for the f1 game um when f122 came out um we kind of had the feeling that the next one would be the last real one the f123 would be the last one under should we say the old school cody's guys and that the next one would be the full-on ea sports release as such because obviously many of these games get developed way ahead of time um so they probably were starting f123 even prior to the ea sports deal was confirmed but i think looking at this one f124 there's obviously been rumors and discussions around new engines uh, you know i think the name unreal engine has been entered into the fold i mean they've they've certainly harbored a a massive following given what they've achieved with a set of course competizioni and with unreal engine 5 out now it is definitely a huge mm. opportunity for, for the f1 game to really jump on and it could take it to that next level that i think that they need to take at this point given the fact that Obviously, they've had some pressures. They've had some issues with the game historically. Definitely, in the most recent years, they're looking to obviously up the ante on the F1 esports side, which is also having its own, you know, situation at the moment. Obviously, we're still waiting to hear what happens with Event Two uh, and things of that nature. So, I th- I think again, it's it's one of those scenarios where it's a new chapter. I think they're ready to take it up a notch, and I'm here for it. Um, you know, if they're confident enough for an early release, then brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's risky, isn't it? It is risky because we know from... We got an early, we got an early release right now experience. in the Mon Ultimate, which I know we're going to And we know from discuss. what we're about to discuss <laughs> that early releases can go one of two ways, right? I mean, I'm not yeah. preempting how this conversation is going to go. Um, but yeah, it is would it's... be nice to see a bit of life kind of injected back into, into the F1 franchise. Is it going to be Unreal 4 or Unreal 5? Or new... We don't know yet. We, do, we don't know if it will be. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's something that I think that has been discussed at length. Um, the 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 ego engine obviously has been around for quite a long time. It just feels like I think 
that it's time for a change. And obviously, I think EA Sports will sort of, I think, push for that change as such. Like, if you look at the, the engines they've introduced lately, they push Frostbite with, with FIFA in recent years. Um, you know, so that's, that's a change that we have seen. Uh, over a, a grand period of time, and 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 I and I think now, given the budgets that they probably are exposed to nowadays, there is opportunity for a greater expansion. I would like to see it succeed. Mm. I love that game. F F one is the 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 racing game that got me into sim racing, so it was it's the pinnacle of great to go back. So. I'm a yeah. bit worried though because uh, because of uh, EA Sports WRC and it. Even though it's not a bad game at all, it's it's very fun. Mm. The issue with it has been always performance. Uh, consoles, PC, lots of uh, shader compilations, and it it can become quite difficult to drive it. Um, if they have the same type of engine as uh, EA Sports WRC, it could be very much the case that they're going to have the same issue, and it's even worse when you're dri driving side by side with somebody. You know, so. Mm. If they keep on Unreal Engine 4, I think that's the WRC is. Are they going to move to Frostbite? Uh, well, who knows? Yeah. It's, uh, I think the next, the next couple of months of, of game releases and developments is going to be, is going to be interesting. Um, setting us up for... I don't know how you guys feel, but I always feel like the, the winter is like the peak of, of sim racing. We're kind of getting towards mm. the end of that now as we kind of head into yeah. the summer. And yet F1... Is this kind of like little mini spike that happens in the in the off season, if you like, of of sim racing? I think your yeah, iRacing, a set of course, a race room guys. I think that that crowd is is largely on over the winter, and yet you get a a more kind of holistic, wholesome group of gamers slash racers who are sim racers who come on for the the summer release of F one, which is no bad thing. Um, so let's just hope it's a success. Talking of which, Lamont Ultimate Early Access came out this week you guys tried it yes i did quite a lot okay we've all tried it we've all tried it now i'm gonna i'm gonna go first here right um it's a, a host's prerogative but with a caveat so this might be me this might be impatience but i tried it for about two hours i think the night before last the day it came out right Four, four or five o'clock in the afternoon in the office, thought, right, I'll, I'll leave the emails. I'm going to give this a go. And I think in the first two hours, it crashed maybe six or seven times. Um, the the menus took forever to load. And, and, and by the way, not right. it's early access, right? So I'm caveating all of this with, I know it's early access. Like, that's fine. I get that. That's the whole point of early access is to roll out these issues. Um, but I'm saying all this because I have a question at the end, right? Um then I tried to go into a practice lobby. Um, there's six, six practice lobbies per, uh, per daily race session, which I was thought, thought was odd because, you know, it, why cap, cap it to six, right? Um, and I think they were, they were all, it was like 14 of 16, but they were full, but then 17 of 16 full and 18 of 16. So I couldn't get it. So I refreshed and refreshed and refreshed. Mm -hmm. And actually, I noticed that by refreshing the game, the other little issues that I found seemed to work themselves out after I'd refreshed it a couple of times because I was trying to get into the lobby. Eventually, I did get into the lobby. And oh my God, I, it nearly broke my wrist, right? So I'm sat there and I'm loading to the garage and I thought, I'm just going to just make sure that my pedals are on, brakes are on, and that the wheel is, the wheel is you know, working, is registered. And I touched the wheel and it whipped round to one side. And it's yeah. the, I've got the Aztec Forte. It's not a, it's not a weak wheel base. I, I swear to God, my 
Pardon me? Did you have invert on, on your steering wheel? Like the invert, the... Um, well, yes, cause... I did. And then I turned that off afterwards, that... right? So, in, in fact, I just me. realized that my wheel is yeah. up. It's upside down now. It's the scene of the crime, right? Um, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah. So, but then eventually I did manage to get out on, on track. Um, and I think I spent 20, 30 minutes going around at Portimao. Um, and it just felt really grainy, like clunky, clicky. I was Googling some settings, but obviously there aren't that many uh, articles mm. out yet about the best settings for each wheelbase for it. No. And after about half an hour, 45 minutes, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm not enjoying this experience. And I was, uh, my evenings are quite, you know, they're, 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 it's precious time, right? I work quite a lot. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so a couple of hours of gaming, I want to enjoy it. And so I was like, you know what, screw this, I'm going to go back to iRacing. And I did an F3 race and I had a lovely, lovely time, loaded straight in, did some practice, did a race, came fourth, very happy with that. And so my question is, how early access is too early access? And is it okay for studios to expect their gamers and fans to go through this process for them? And that's an open, genuinely open question, because I, I don't yeah. know which way I sit. I have thoughts, many, <laughs> many thoughts. Um, my experience is a little bit different than yours, but within the same spectrum. Uh, I was streaming okay. and all sorts of bugs appeared. The game, like I said in a, in a video that I've made, has more bugs than a, a dive in Helldivers 2. Uh, <laughs> it's bugs everywhere. It gets slow. Everything crashes. <laughs> like, I, I like the driving, though. I like the driving. The force feedback on the Club Sport TD is, is actually pretty good out of the box. Uh, nothing needed to be inverted. The gain is, was a bit too high. We removed the gain a little bit and Worked fine, drives fine. Love the four eight eight GT. As for the, as for that that question, how early access is or should be early access? Uh, with motorsports games, uh, I think there's a different context mm. because this game wasn't supposed to going. release in early access. No, no. You know, this game shouldn't you, have been released in early access. It <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not, because I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> no, I, I know, know where, where you're going, going with this, mate. <laughs> with this early access stuff, because they're in a they're in a crunch essentially. Because it's for me, it's still probably one of the few last times they can do this. The only way they they can try to surpass the issues they have is that we are the beta testers. That's it. Yeah. So they essentially normally you sell send the QC and the QA to a company. In the exterior, you're the company now, right? And you're mm. paying for it. So you're paying for the privilege of uh, bug fixing. Now, this is becoming quite, for me, quite scary in sim racing because I never seen an attitude change towards uh, gaming so, di uh, so differently than it is in sim racing. Because I used to be a, a huge follower of Total Biscuits. He sadly passed away uh, in 2018. And he has always been a very big advocate of being you know, clear and concise with the... Uh, with consumers he used to do like very deep things and you know in his reviews where he even reviewed the menus it was so funny right and he always had something saying like never pre-order never do early access right and with sim racing what i find different is that while in gaming early access is somewhat panned right and 
for example, Tarkov has been in early access for so long. Generally, uh, the company behind it gets in lots of trouble because, you know, the gamers and the streamers get rail on them when there are very big issues either throughout the patches. But with sim racing, early access is okay. Boys, they're just, they're ju this is early access. You have to be. Uh, you have to be kind with them. What do you mean? You have to be kind with mm -hmm. them. You're 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 working for them. You pay to work for them, and I have to be kind to them. Doesn't work like this. What do you mean? Yeah, that is that that that, that is interesting. That's a really interesting. Uh, that's a really interesting uh, concept. When you boil it down, we're paying to test it for yeah. them because if they were paying for testers they'd have to pay quite a lot of money to, for people to do hours and hours and hours and hours of testing i wonder if the price now of the early access version reflects the fact that we are testing and at, at release and, and so on it'll get more expensive right yeah they're um, passing the savings on to you but the kind <laughs> <laughs> i'm just playing devil's advocate okay i'm playing devil's advocate but the other, the, I do you know what I do you know what I think right? Whenever I'm whenever I'm talking about Le Mans Ultimate, I'm like cl quite clearly it's it's not been released to a high quality, generally, mm. right? And it's mm. and it's a frustrating experience that that you're right. We have paid for a frustrating experience, but I cannot help but feel this sense of overwhelming optimism, yeah, that it that it's going to turn out all right because I just really want it to. And I, think I wanted to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's I, I wanted to as well, but I'm not going to gaslight myself into this. I'm not going <laughs> to gaslight myself, you know? Like, no, I no. don't under. I, I look, I, I, sometimes I feel in some racing community that I'm taking crazy pills here. It's just like, oh, optimism about what, man? You're paying for, you're paying for a product. Okay, you shouldn't be unfair, but there are, there are things that don't make sense. And mm. I, I refuse to be part of a cult. I'm sorry. This, <laughs> this doesn't work for me. Honestly, okay, so this is really interesting, right? This is really because this is this is this is I think this has hit another point, right? And and maybe this is where my opinion is actually so much less relevant than everyone else's, right? Because I, I feel a sense of like I feel like because I work in sim racing and I, I, I talk, I eat, sleep sim racing all day, every day. I'm building a sim racing product. We do a sim racing podcast. I just love sim race. I feel like I, I, I feel like it's almost like it's, it's, I'm part of the group that is sim racing and mm -hmm. these, and, and multiple games is a part of this group and we're all part of this world of sim racing. And so we're trying to like, you know, if you're, if you're a team of people and you're doing a project and one person is slacking, you know, you want to G them on. You want to be like, come on, mm -hmm. you, you've got this. Come on, we all want you to succeed to bring everyone else mm. further forward. Absolutely. Now, there's no logic to that. There's absolutely no logic to that, especially from a consumer's point of view. And obviously, as a streamer, Ricardo, you're always thinking about what's the point of view of the consumer who I'm talking to, whereas perhaps mm. I'm, I'm kind of going at it from like a, well, we are all part of this world of sim racing. We're all trying to build the world of sim racing and we want it to be better. Mm -hmm. And so there's no part of us that, like revels in the fact that there is an element of sim racing in this case a particular studio that isn't doing well mm. uh, i mean I, I have a very different view i think from ricardo in, in a sense that 
I, I <laughs> you, you know, you know, you how you have the happy face and then the smiley face in the theaters. You know, that's me and Ricardo yeah. right now. I, I'm actually more, <laughs> I'm actually more positive about this experience uh, to a degree, uh, though I'm not obviously, you know, you know, ignoring should we say, or, or certainly not ignoring that the the issues that they do have with this game right now. But I'll be honest, I went into it, I bought it thinking it was going to be a lot worse. If I'm honest, uh, I was expecting something. Wow. I think I think really quite dreadful, but I just couldn't resist. But you know, just just trying it because obviously it's WEC, right? It's it's an officially licensed WEC game. So I thought, look, come on, let's let's give this a chance. Uh, and, you know, uh, and bear in mind, we we have an opportunity now to to really harness the three pillars of European motorsport. Essentially, F1 obviously is is out and about. We've got obviously a fully licensed SRO game. Uh, with the set of course competizioni with with GT World Challenge licensed cars. Now we have a situation where WEC now has a fully licensed game in Le Mans Ultimate. So I, I really hope that it does work out. Now I stepped into it very similar experience to both of you. I, I mean when I got into it, my steering snapped as well as soon as I went into the car, realizing that invert is not the way forward for my wheelbase. Nope. And uh, unfortunately, I learned the hard way uh, going up through a Rouge and Radion because James Baldwin, for some reason, it worked for him to put inverts on and everyone else. So all the people in my chat, because I streamed it, they were saying, well, James Baldwin's put inverts on. So, George, put your inverts on and, and do that. So I did that. Snap, the, the steering wheel snapped straight away. I said, this can't be right. Turned it off. Absolutely fine. Weird how they differ for different people really odd but i also had moments which drove me crazy which were when you'd select your race format so you'd have practice qualifying so i'd select 15 minutes of practice for example 10 minutes of qualifying and then i selected 18 minutes of racing you'd step into the lobby you get to the race lobby all of a sudden it changes to six hours and I didn't realize until the very last minute. So there was a clear time glitch there. So I was there racing. I said, has it been 18 minutes yet? <laughs> so, yeah, just looking around. Nope, still got another five hours and and uh, 40 minutes to go. <laughs> yeah, it was, there were very clear bugs. I had two crashes. I had uh, one as well when I tried to join my multiplayer session out of the practice lobby. It just totally blew up there and then, which was not ideal. But what I will say, aesthetically, Visually and the sounds oh, it's good. were great. Really, really does mm. look and sound great. Well, yeah. besides yeah. the bug, I don't think it's a it's it's a bad game. Once no. uh, once they figure it out, probably it's going to be good. It, I think in terms of as a product, I think it's better than R Factor Two. Uh, yeah. They need to get a very easy way to get the plugins working from R Factor Two. Things that you could you know bring over. Like yeah. uh, I've seen, like a video for a radar that you can have. That would be cool to have. Don't need, need to that, reinvent the wheel. <laughs> My point is, it's really not just about the game itself. It's a, it's about the general attitude of sim racing and in, in, in companies. I understand it's early access, but going at it like with in uh, overwhelming optimism, I don't think that that works. It, it generally tends to bring the worst out of the the companies, and then they know, oh, they did it. Now let's go for a ride again. Would Would you say, Ricardo, I'm, that I'm, given the the overwhelming cloud that motorsport games finds itself in, that we're placing greater stigma uh, on this game because of that reason, because of the recent struggles they've had in recent years? Uh, yes, but. In my case, it's it was just because of the switcheroo. Honestly, I am going to be extremely upfront. I don't care if MSG fails or tanks, fails or succeeds. 
I, I never had like a proper relationship. I am like, I have no art feelings one way or the other, like that guy. Mm -hmm. um, as a product, I can see the potential in it. I've said on my video that this is like uh, ACC for WSC. It's the same kind of format and you can yeah, expand yeah, it. Absolutely. They can release DLCs for 24, yeah. maybe for, you Good can system. get the, you know, the Mercedes S, uh, CLKs from the 90s. You can get like the early prototypes from the 90s as well. Maybe, a, you know, a 787B like everybody likes. Oh my God, so good, right? You can get all of that stuff and it will work. It will work. It has the exact, the perfect format for it. Uh, yeah. As what I found interesting about this is that it was content complete. It's an early access with content completion for the 2023 series. So it has all the cars. It has all the tracks. It drives great. It's just uh, the bug, you know, the the part of the bug fixing. They did a switcheroo saying, now it's our, psych, it's early access now. They do a switcheroo for that, for early access, and now you find the bugs. I find that's distasteful, you know? Doesn't mean that I'm not going to give it a fair shot. It's just mm. the context is totally different because of MSG. So are we going to see Le Mans Ultimate host Le Mans Virtual in twenty? Hopefully. I want so. Yeah. I really want, I want to. to. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I hope so. Well, on that note, thank you, guys. That was a, that was a very long intro. If you're only really here for the Darren Cox interview and you just, you, you're fed up with us waffling on, apologies, because that was, that was 25 minutes. But actually, I enjoyed it. And, that, you know, that's what, that's what we're here for. So, guys, thank you for joining... Uh, <laughs> joining me again this week and uh, i'll see you again next week and for those listening enjoy the darren uh, cox interview goodbye whoa tom before we get into the episode we need to show them grid finder guys if you haven't checked it out please check out grid finder you can browse from over 1000 leagues or communities or even start your own we have a complete league management system built into our website we even have loads of cool features like custom championships single races time trials and a race attendance system we even have cool features like a split and tier management system as well as something coming up very soon a driver rating and penalty point system anyway enough of me talking i know you guys know where to go please go check out and sign up to Gridfinder for free and find your new racing league to be a part of now enjoy the episode but but it always it always was right it'd be really interesting to work out what you deem to be innovative so you know we, we you've you've said that you hate people who corporate right and i love that the verb to corporate right it to, cor to corporate like corporating is basically the the kind of the the, the disease the anti-innovation disease that kind of infects a lot of organizations when they get when they get too big and the problem with corporating is it's all very vague and wishy-washy and as long as we just you know we don't go down we go a little bit up everyone's fine and we can all go home and take play golf right but it's all a bit wishy-washy so i guess if we're going to say well you know screw the screw the 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 corporators we're the innovators we need to be a bit specific with it and i noticed that the first line of your linkedin bio starts with the phrase i'm an innovator so what's an innovator the antithesis of a corporator. <laughs> yeah. and, and I listened to a podcast the other day and, and someone said, um, you know, a proper, well-structured business um, needs to have people that exploit and explore. Mm. Right? And, and I'll let the corporators exploit, right? So they can do, you know, the, the, you know, the small margins, you know, get costs down, 
go after that market slightly differently, you know, improve, you know, put the price up, do the marketing 5% better, whatever. You need that in, in, in any one but a startup, you need, you need the, 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 the guys that are doing that. But what a lot of big companies don't do is the, is the exploration. And that, that's what I see. It's just exploring what else can be done. Um, you know, and, and if you look at an output, GT Academy, if you watch the TV show, there was a, we did the survey. If you'd seen the TV show, you were three times more likely to buy a Nissan than you were if you hadn't seen it. That's it, right? You, you every time you go to the board for some more money, you just show them that number. You just go, there you go, there we go, you know, and, and away you go. One of the Nissans from GT Academy is actually on Race Cars Direct right now, and I've been, I've been, I've been eyeing it up. Well, it claims to be. It cl- okay, it claims. The reason I rolled my eyes was, <laughs> well, first of all, it's sold. And the reason I know I should have taken it down because it's mine. Oh, <laughs> I've been. I keep so, going back to it. I kept looking yeah, at no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> it is actually one of the cars from G. And the reason I bought it was because I knew the film was coming out. I knew they needed GTRs. There weren't many around. Mm. So yeah, my my bank manager was very um, um, uh, nice to me. And then they rented it off me, of course. And then I thought there would be an increase in price after the film came out. So yeah, I've been exceedingly lucky. I've sat in it once. Oh yeah. Yeah, but well, so I've never, never driven it. <laughs> well, I actually, that's a lie. I drove it through the paddock at, at Silverstone. To the two Capalunas. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's. I, I, I'm just feel very, very lucky that I had the opportunity to, you know, own that for a moment. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't trust myself to race it, unfortunately. So, well, let's um, let's get into the the meat. Uh, no, hang on, the meat and two veg. No, that's that's dinner. Meat. Get, let's get into the I meat. Didn't think it was that sort of podcast. No, well, that's that's a Freudian slip, perhaps. I meant the meat of the of the substance of this podcast. Let's get okay. to the main right. meal, right? <clears throat> so, GT Academy, which obviously then led to the Gran Turismo film that we've been alluding to. Right, we want to go through that story, but I want to I want to approach it from this angle. When you, and you said that you, many people have had the idea before and many have had it since, but when you had the idea for GT Academy, why did you personally want to try turning gamers into drivers? Like, you know, why did you want to do it? What was the, what was the, the heart behind it? Um, a number of reasons. Um, and, and I think this was deeply buried that only subsequently have I thought about. Um, I was from a very working class background. That, those, that, that phrase isn't used very often because people, A, try and hide that, and B, you know, no one wants to be working class or, or you know, we don't talk about it. Everyone's middle class. But I, I came from working class background. You know, we had, no, we had no money for foreign holidays, you know, always had terrible cars to drive around in. Um, and, but I, I, I didn't realise. I had a great childhood, right? I didn't, I didn't realise I was missing out on anything. It was absolutely brilliant childhood. Um but I knew that, and and by the way, I'm not a very talented racing driver by any stretch of the imagination. But my brother is. He's. he's, a, he's a, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's, he's a great kid. And um, but he had no chance. He had no chance of being a racing driver. Absolutely none, because of our background. Even back then, right? I mean, it's even worse now. It's even worse. You know, the money you need to get into into motorsport any level is insane. So there was a little bit of that. I think that was hidden. Um, but genuinely, it was because I thought it was a bloody good idea and no one had done it before. So, you know, why not? And it, I could see in a way that this might be a way that I could get into motorsport. 
right? I'm mm-hmm. not sure I actually thought that. I just thought this is a bloody good idea. Why aren't we doing it? I mean, I, I'm I'm working on a couple of things at the moment, which every you no know, everyone I pick or ninety percent of the people I pitch it to are like, mm, don't get it. I'm like, this is going to work. I, I just know it's going to work, so I'm going to keep going at it. Um, and they they do say, don't they? And I, I've I've remembered this. I used to say it all the time. Um, in fact, I, I've reminded it because I stumbled across, which I've never watched. There was a documentary about um, the Le Mans 2015, uh, which we can come on to if we ever get to the end of this story. <laughs> um, and I watched it, but I've never seen it. Right, so 2015. It's now two thousand, you know, nine years old. I've never watched that documentary. I'm on it. I watched it the other day, and um, I say this in it. So I've reminded myself. I said this. I thought, well, that's smart. I need to use that again. Progress is only made by the unreasonable man. Um, mm. Obviously, I didn't say that originally. I'm sure it was, um, you know, someone a lot smarter than me. And and that is the case. I, I, I there was no plan. There was no big vision. It was this is a great idea. It should be done. And then someone tells you, you can't do it, and you're like, mm, hang on a minute. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, yeah, that's the answer. There is a beauty in the simplicity of wanting to do carry out a good idea because it's a good idea. And for no other reason other than, well, that's a cool idea, so let's go and do it. And I guess when you're in the, the, the department of exploring... For well, I wasn't. I, I, I wasn't when I came up with it, but that didn't stop me. And I think the it isn't just about a good idea. The reason that I ended up getting away with some of this stuff was because actually when you um, rationalised it, it was also good for the business, right? So... You know, you, you, uh, an example. Why did we get GT Academy? I don't even think I've told this story. Maybe I have. Um, signed off was because, remember, this is in the, and again, the, those people that are, are new to this won't, won't know the implications. But 2008, horrendous market crash, horrendous global um, economic situation. Car companies were on the edge of going bust, right? We, Nis, Renault, Nissan, big trouble, right? And amongst that, we just launched GT Academy, right? But why did we launch it? Carlos Ghosn, who's now famous for escaping uh, Japan in the music box, was the CEO. And he had this word called frugal. And what everyone thought that was cost-cutting. It wasn't. It was use the money of the company better. And I've always thought that. Right? Coming from the background I've just described about you know, my, my, my family background, use the money in a better way. So... All we had to prove was that what we were doing was going to get better value than buying a TV ad. And it was quite easy, right? Because we were going to make, I don't remember the first one, it was probably an hour-long documentary we did for the first GT Academy. Um, maybe it wasn't. I need to think about that. But we just really simply said, there will be Nissans on screen for 60% of the time. We're going to smash Nissan on the side of these cars. Any bit of branding we can, we're going to have Nissan on there and PlayStation, of course, but I was trying to set it to Nissan. Um and yes, of course, we're going to get better return on investment than if you just buy the TV ad. Okay. Now, it wasn't that simple. Of course, it was three years and a whole load of heartache and tears. But that was the business rationale, right? And it was the start of what was now called a content strategy, right? No one was mm. making what's now called advertiser-funded program or branded content. But we did, and we proved that it could work. So, you know, I'm just trying to think of another stupid idea I had that, um, but the, the the sponsorship one, all of the different regions in in Europe were doing their own thing. You know, the the I think the Brits were doing mountain biking, the Italians were doing 
skiing, the Swiss were doing um, wing wingsuit flight. And I, I just look, as you say, it's simple. It's like, why don't we just put all this together and have one banner over the top? I'm like, oh yeah, what's the benefit of that? We're going to get multiples of because we're going to show content from Italy and the UK, and we're going to make our own TV show on Eurosport, which is Nissan Sports Adventure, and we're going to take different bits from each of the different countries. And then the country's like, wow, that's brilliant. That means we don't have to keep justifying this every month. No, no, no. We're going to just put our banner above, you know, Nissan Sports Adventure on everything you do. And there we go. It's approved. And so, yeah, that was cool, right? That was a great idea. But from a financial point of view, it also made complete sense as well. So it, 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 I'm now going to go through all of the stuff that I've done, which most of it was good ideas. I'll give you another very, very quick one. You might have seen, if you're really unlucky, pink micros driving around that was me right <laughs> and the reason we did that was as a marketing stunt basically and it was on you can google it It was on top gear richard hammond drove well i think he drove it with a bag over his head because he didn't want to be seen in it and then he left it at the side of the road um brilliant coverage right and it was because it was pink oh and, and, but now, the story was it was a you know free marketing basically pr everywhere but the whole point of it was first of all all our buyers were were young females so really cool for them that they have a pink car big cars happen all the time now but it didn't then literally didn't happen mm. and we gave a certain amount of money per car sold to breast cancer charity so there was it was a great idea i mean boring right there's micra but so i wasn't just doing my cool stuff i was doing you know i was also marketing micras but it was a good idea but it also had a business uh, impact as well so you've got to do both you can't just come up with I'm now trying to think of an idea that was really stupid that didn't have a business impact. Well, give, give me some give me some time, and I'll, I'll probably think of ten. It's interesting that you, you're struggling to work it out because I'm wondering if there's an instinct here. I'm wondering if instinctively you're coming up with ideas which then inherently have an ROI that you can that you can then tag onto it afterwards. But it, but is it the is it the 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 idea that comes to you first and then? The, well, and obviously it would fit in here, here, and here, and here. Do, you know, do we, do we? Are there obvious ways to make it fit in because you have an instinct for coming up with these with these ideas in the first place, as opposed to a lot of people do it the opposite way around. So, right, okay, what do we? What are we trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve an uptick here, here, and here. Okay, so let's work back from that to come up with a marketing strategy. It's almost like you're instinctively coming up with ideas which will fit in based on the scenario that you're in. But I might be making several assumptions too many there. Um, but you did say, again, not to, not to. I don't, I don't know why I keep doing this. I'm quoting your, your, your LinkedIn again. You said, I've been the corporate guy, the startup guy, and the CEO. Now, you don't like to corporate, but you're, you're claiming that you have been the corporate guy. I was in the corporation. <laughs> I was not corporating. No, no, you might need to, yeah, you might have to go back and amend that. <laughs> so, again, it doesn't sound like I'm answering the question I'm going to. Um, Steve Jobs famously says you can't, you know, it's all about joining the dots and you can't think about joining the dots looking forward. You just look back and realize, you know, that they've happened. That, mm, but I like that. A, a lady that interviewed me for, I can't even remember what it was. Um, she said, oh, you know, just dropped it like that, that big clanger. Oh, when I was working, because I, I use that phrase, right? We were, we're talking in this this interview and, and I use that phrase. Said, when I was working with Steve Jobs, yeah. I used to tell him that it wasn't about joining the dots. It was about collecting the dots. Hmm. So, you know, and, and again, the problem is the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, it, I'm thinking about whatever I've been working on. Right. So, you know, that subconscious conscious, you know, if someone set you an objective, 
um, and then you come up with the idea. So, no, I'd I'd say the ideas are based on the objectives. I, I absolutely well, they were when I worked at Nissan. So, we were launching um, the Duke, uh, and um, you know, obviously, we needed to make Duke cool. So, we did a co-promotion with Ministry of Sound. Right now, people have put stickers on the back of cars for years, right? I mean, even Golf did a Rolling Stones. VW did a Rolling Stones golf. Uh, why? No idea. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. But we wanted to take it to the next level. So we built, using the speakers out of Ministry of Sound, exactly the same speakers that was in the club, we put them in the back of two Dukes, and we had basically the ultimate mobile disco. So we literally just rock up um, with the DJ in another Duke, and you know just rock up with these three Dukes, two massive speakers, just turn up with a DJ, and, and just crowds would just come. You know, we've been the right place to call certain city centers and blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Now, that was that's a really stupid idea, but based on the objective, which is to make Duke cool. So, yeah, I'm not just going to be abstract going, you know, come up with a stupid idea. Or, yeah, I suppose you retrofit. I mean, I'm going to, you know, Delta Wing, which I've got a model back there somewhere. And the, there we are. But I just moved my chair and there, there appears a, a Delta Wing model. Um, that one... Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm trying to think of one that didn't fit. We we had this brand positioning at Nissan, which was innovation that excites. Now, I can't think of a better thing that represents innovation that excites, right? Delta Wing, if you know the story, great. If you don't, have a Google of it. A car that looked like no other race car that had ever existed before and was using half the fuel of any other race car in its class at the same speed. So... If you want to talk about a car manufacturer that's innovating and doing something exciting, we would go to Le Mans with this thing. There you go, retrofit. Why did I do it? I thought it was a really cool project. But then retrospectively, why wouldn't you you do that? So, yeah, if, if the company's raison d'etre is innovation, then I'm fitting in there, right? But now you look at may, most mainstream car companies, they are merging into one. They are boring. Mm. Um, so I, 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 you know, I have been advised never to go back and work in a mainstream car company. Well, let me cling on to that point and uh, use it as a segue to, to move forward to the story, right? So you've worked inside Nissan and you've it sounds like you've kind of, to use a bit of a wanky phrase, really, you've been an intrapreneur, right? You've been you've, you've been an internal entrepreneur, right? That's the phrase that, that, that if you read the books, the lead stuff, I'm the change, revolution. I'm going to change my LinkedIn profile. There basically. you go. You're an, intra, you're an intrapreneur, you. right? But now, you know, you're very much an entrepreneur and you've got a lot of things going on. But I'm interested to know how that transition was for you and how natural it felt to go from, right, okay, I have this huge budget and I'm part of this huge corporation and it's innovation that excites. I can do that. Fantastic. I can go off, come up with ideas to, right, now I'm going to put my own stock on the line and come up with with concepts. Was, you know, did, did, uh, did, did, did a kind of personal fear ever ever take over when you started to do things as your own brand as opposed to as an entrepreneur with someone else's brand no, no. I didn't... It, was exactly, it was exactly the it was exactly the right time it was exactly the right time for me to to leave nissan they took we had the mon 2015 which by some people's um opinions was a complete disaster we haven't got time to go into that uh one um I don't think I'd change much about what I did there. Um, in fact, if you look there, there's a model of that car there. Look, <laughs> there's there models everywhere. There it is. <laughs> um, 
So I'm proud of that one as well. Uh, no, no. And, and But it wasn't about coming up with new ideas. I just didn't want to be at Nissan. And I had enough confidence that, you know, I had a little bit of stock in, in um, you know, the industry um, that people would hire me. Mm. What was interesting was when the phone rang. So I thought, when I didn't, I didn't go as far as writing a business plan. Right? I just knew I needed to go and do my own thing and, and um, leave Nissan. And I thought I was going to be doing like 40% automotive, 40% motorsport, 20% maybe gaming. Mm. Every time the phone rang, it was about, oh, that gaming thing you did, a GT Academy thing you did. Mm. What, could you? So I think we, I wrote the, many people have done this, wrote a Formula E eSports strategy, many uh, of which... There's probably a, a, a filing cabinet <laughs> at Formula E head office with, um, you know, a, a bunch of um, uh, uh, Formula E um, uh, uh, esports strategies in there. Dom Dewan, who's, who's probably well-known to people listening to this podcast, also told me the other day he'd written one, and, and other people have told me. So, yeah, um, I wrote the MotoGP esports strategy, which is, is still ongoing. I think, you know, it's very niche, but it's doing a good job. I wrote a gaming strategy for... Um, Oh, I can't remember the car manufacturer that was never used, and then um, got involved with EA, and we, we we went and started a project in China, which never happened. But it was gaming, right? And that was EA approaching me because of what I'd done before. So I didn't get, I did literally did one automotive project for for um, Aston Martin, but that that brilliant phrase, you know, the la- the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. People wanted to get into gaming but didn't know how, so they oh that like seems to have done something. So that was where it was. But no, I didn't. I never had a plan. I never had any fear that it was just the right thing to do. It was the right thing to leave Nissan. Um, I really, really, really wanted to keep the LMP1 project going. Um, I wrote a 10-point plan on the Monday after Le Mans. This is how I'm going to fix it. Part of which was, if I don't fix it by next year, you can fire me without any um, payoff. Obviously, I was going to get, you know, I've been the company 20 years. So, you know, there was a, there was a deal to be had when I left. And I said, I'll, I'll walk away from everything. You know, you don't pay me anything. You can, I'll just resign. Um, and they didn't accept it. And it was it, it was basically taping, taking the corporate thing out of motorsport. And if you look at the successful Formula One teams and conversely the unsuccessful Formula One teams, they have been the ones that are have been corporating or haven't been corporating. Mm-hmm. I'm going to overuse that phrase now. <laughs> yeah, I like it. No, an, an example of that is Toto Wolff when he started at Mercedes was in the factory every day. I mean, I'm, by the way, I'm five five minutes from Mercedes factory. He was in the factory every single day running that business. Today, he's there maximum of 90 days because that's his tax deal, right? Hmm. Christian Horner, I don't know when this is going out. He currently is the team principal of, of Red Bull <laughs> Racing. Yeah. He is in the factory. Even after long haul races, he is in the factory on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Hmm. Right? And there wasn't much corporating going on. Now there is. You know, if you look at what Ford did or Toyota did in Formula One, absolute, complete, and utter disaster because there was corporating involved. So, um, yeah, I think that um, I, I, yeah, that I knew I needed to go. I really tried to keep the LMP1 thing going. It couldn't. That was it. It, 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 it was, it was the right time to move, and I haven't regretted it. You know, I've, I've made some really stupid decisions since, but the decision to leave um, corporate land was was exactly the right one. So is it fair to say that the GT Academy project specifically laid the foundations for everything that you would then go on to do subsequently in your mm. kind of private career, if you like? Um, 
certainly when it was driving new business, you know, 80%, I would say, for then me to set up my own things um, and, and create new stuff. So, uh, you know, in 2020, um, I launched, uh, you know, the first uh, F1 content first digital media business, basically. Um, you know, that was F1. It was media. It was mm. YouTube. It was podcasting. It was, uh, you know, the written word. It was, you know, social media. So, no, on that one. Um because that was my sort of, you know, IP with 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 my co-founder. Um, so, you know, and, and I'm, I'm obviously exceedingly proud of that. And there was no no gaming in there. Um, but in terms of, yeah, revenue into the business rather than new ideas, yeah, you know, eighty percent of those things when I was starting up on my own came from the came from the gaming side. You know, I reinvented GT Academy with World's Fastest Gamer. Yeah, um, I, I ran, uh, and would they have given me the, the opportunity to do this? ran um, eSports for Mercedes and um, what was Racing Point in the first days of um, F1 eSports. So, you know, there, there's a thread, right, which is, the, which is the gaming thread. And I keep getting pulled back into it. You know, I'd say at the moment, 60 to 80% of the projects I'm involved in have got some sort of gaming element. And that's because the industry is changing and there is more gaming involved in it. But again, it's, um, yeah, I, I guess if you're right now on the list of people you want to work on those gaming projects... My name's on there, and then you can cross it out if you don't really like me, which <laughs> may be quite a big percentage. Some, some there's well, there's definitely worse worlds to work in. I, I want to ask um, a couple of questions um, from our listeners on GT Academy before we move on to Gran Turismo briefly, and then I want to get your opinion on the state of sim racing as it is. State of Ooh. the Nation by Darren Cox. Okay, okay. so uh, we've had a couple of questions in. We have one from uh, a fantastic sim racing streamer who... You, you might watch, uh, Lawrence de Souza. And um, he asks about GT Academy. He says, what was the goal for GT Academy initially, but then how did that goal evolve as you as you progress through it? I always try and say, you know, I always don't try and say, because I was pulled up and it once, great question, but that is genuinely a great question. At the beginning, it was supposed to be a one and done. It was supposed to be prove that this can be done, that a gamer can go into um, racing. And now, and I've said this a number of times, I knew from early days that I could find good racing drivers. I didn't think I would find great racing drivers. So on that mm -hmm. basis, it evolved because A, the concept, certainly from internally at Nissan, the TV companies we were dealing with was really well received. Um, and when I say internally at Nissan, we were doing it in Europe and then suddenly you'd have you know, the Middle East come and say, can we do it in you know, Mexico? America eventually, Japan eventually even, wow. Um, so, yeah, it massively evolved. It was supposed to be one and done. Let's prove this can work. And then it just worked so well that we, we, we changed it. And, yeah, it was supposed to be gun racing in Dubai 24 hours. And in the end, I'm like, again, I've never said this out loud, but we had sort of half a shot, and it was only half a shot, to get into F1, right? I mean, not well known, but Yan did mm. a GT2 weekend. Um, you know, and... You know, he, he did. He did. You know, he was racing against Giovinazzi, Latifi. Um, he raced his last single seater race. This has been not covered enough. Was in Super Formula in Japan, and he qualified on pole. There's a bloke called Pierre Gasly qualified third. I heard of him. And yeah, and um, I'm going to look him up on Driver Database and see um, what he's doing these days. And um, there was a typhoon, 
overnight. So this is a Saturday. They qualified on Saturday. So he's full out qualifying. He has beaten Pierre Gasly, right? There's a typhoon in the, uh, the, the Sunday. The race doesn't happen. He doesn't get a seat the following season in Super Formula. I guess Gasly went straight to... Because he... Yeah, he, he didn't do all of the season. He went... So he must have been his first season in Formula 1 the following year. And Jan didn't do another... That's his last single seat race he did. Now, what happens... Where's the sliding door story? That that typhoon doesn't come. And Jan beats Pierre Gasly head-to-head in that race. Uh, imagine. Just imagine. And, as anyone would know, two things were wrong with um, the GT Academy model to get people to Formula 1, and certainly for the, for Jan. Number one was Jan was too old when we, we got him, right? So I think he was 19 when he won, so way too old to start, you know, professional racing. We still got him to GP2. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, he, and, he, and he won races in F3 and GP3, right? Well, mate, I mean, that, that story's never been... But, I can't remember those words coming out of my mouth before. So that was sort of hidden because we were pushing the the GT story and the prototype story. Um, And we didn't have much money. I mean, Jan's last season in GP3, I don't think I'm telling anything I shouldn't be telling it, was was a barter deal. So we didn't pay anything for that, right? I was doing deals. It was a barter deal with another driver who shall remain nameless, racing for, for Nissan. And we did a swap, basically. Um, so no money changed hands. Yang got a drive in GP3. So if we'd have imagine if we'd have had enough money, and I could have given him the full testing that someone like you know Lando's had, or certainly Stroll's had, mm. and he had done a season of GP2, how would he have done? But that sliding doors moment of he the last single seat race he did, he beat Pierre Gasly to pole, and the next season Pierre Gasly's in F1. There's your what might have been. So great question. Um, a very long answer. Apologies wild. That would be, yeah, I mean, absolutely wild. Maybe the, you know, Gran Turismo 2, the film, can cover that. Um, so uh, we've got another question from uh, Shub Kumar, who says, uh, why did GT Academy stop? Uh, I should give you some facts and you can make your own decision. Okay. Uh, I left Nissan in, uh, I think in the end of October. So I resigned on, you know, I gave this 10 point plan and said, if you don't accept this, I'm resigning. That was, that was June. I left in October because they were trying to, going back to the point, they were trying to keep me. I They promised me all sorts of big jobs in Europe to be, I think I was going to end up being like marketing. For, I can't remember. Anyway, I didn't want to do it. You know, it was, but they kept me going. So we left, left in October. The last GT Academy happened in 2016. And, the CMO globally at the time used to call it DC Academy. Right, okay. So there's there's, there's three mm. facts. I left in 2015. The last one was in 2016, which obviously needs planning before. And the CMO called it DC Academy. So you you make your own view of what happened there. Um, um, which, is, um, which is crazy because Nissan had a head start, like the biggest head start of anyone in gaming and automotive, and they literally threw it away. It's, it's insane. Cannot contemplate that decision making no well I'm, I'm lost you speak in riddles Darren I've got no idea why it stopped <laughs> yeah. um, so these, this is a great series of questions this the final one uh, is uh, from Michael Pogorolov I hope I said that right um, says will GT Academy resume no 100% not there you go <laughs> uh, because Nissan as I just said uninterested I mean how mad is it Nis- Yan 
He's not a Nissan ambassador. He has no contract with Nissan. They stopped him racing um, when I left, well, a couple of years after I left. Um, I was help, trying to help him get some uh, get a deal with, with Nissan as part of the film. They were not interested at all. Zero, zero interest. Kazunori-san has come out and said, it was very nice doing GT Academy. It was a fantastic thing to do. We moved on. We're doing our GT series, World Series. That's what we're doing. So, no. Absolutely not. The two the two people that can make it happen are not going to happen. Now, as I said, I've, I've rebooted GT Academy once, which is called World's Fastest Game, which is massively mm. successful. Rudy Van Buren won the first one. He is now the sim driver for F1. You know, and if you, there's a brilliant article. Max Verstappen says, um, my most important teammate. And he talks about Rudy being, you know, the third car. I mean, that, that that's, a, by the way, that's a podcast. You should get Rudy on. And talk about the impact of how the simulator um, during race weekends helps develop the car on track. But anyway, just well, if it's uh, giving you episode advice here, if we manage to make that happen, what question would you ask Rudy? Um, where's my commission? Okay, great. I'll pass that on. <laughs> um, we 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 text once a week at least. So uh, yeah, uh, we can make this happen. Yeah. In fact, the, the the situation at Red Bull, one of us owes the other one dinner. Um, whatever comes, whatever comes out of that that um, that story, um, and so I've done it. And in the second season, obviously James Baldwin won, um, and you know he's he's done all right for himself as well. So it's already been rebooted once since the films come on Netflix in the US. I, I keep getting people approaching me saying, you know, why shouldn't we do it? Can we do it? Here's a big check. Do you want to do it? But it's got to be right. I mean, we if you look at the second season of World's Fastest Gamer, the TV show, the way we shot it, that I mean, it was much better than GT Academy. Like we, we started in Vegas, went to LA, San Francisco, Big Sur. I'll, I'll send you um, the, uh, the the trailer. For, it was on ESPN, right? It was on ESPN, co-produced with ESPN. Um, it's the it, it's just fantastic TV. I'll send you the trailer. I watched it back the other day, this whole thing of looking back at what I've done. I was like, I'm astonished. It was absolutely amazing. So that's my sort of, you know, back catalogue, if you like. Mm-hmm. GT Academy, which has been made into a Hollywood movie, co-produced another series with, with ESPN. I'm just saying it out loud. It's making me smile because I had not about it. Why wouldn't you? And um, so, like, doing, like, someone said to oh, well, we've built up to it, but can we just do, like, this sim event and local one? Well, honestly, no. <laughs> Go big. You know, there's loads of yeah, the community you've got listening to this. There's f- some fantastic people doing that sort of stuff. There's some fantastic communities and fantastic professional organisations doing that. No, I want to. If, if we're going to do it, mm. I want to do it big. Right? I want to do yeah, it you know, and and do and come in with at the beginning with some sort of crazy thought, which is we're going to we're going to take a driver to Le Mans because we've done it before. Not just we're going to give them a drive the next mm. season. But our aim, this winner in three years, is going to be on the grid at Le Mans. So there's a real, mm. you know, window and a real journey that that you can follow that person on. So um, someone will do. If I don't do it, someone will do it. They'll, it, it someone will do it well, or someone will half-ass it. But GT Academy as a brand, um, no, absolutely won't happen again. Game mm. of Racer, as in a concept, yes, will absolutely happen. Oh, oh, I, I, I think I know about a dozen um, projects that are happening right now. Some well funded others not funded that are they're doing exactly that 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 will you know that is definitely going to continue now i want to ask some questions about the grand turismo film we've only got nine minutes left of this episode but it's been fantastic um 
So I'm not going to ask what was the long series of phone calls that made Gran Turismo a thing in the first place or what was it like having Orlando Bloom play you or what was it like being on the set, blah, 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 blah. Why not? What I want to know, what the Sim Sunday podcast ought to ask you is what impact did and does the film have on sim racing and online racing? Damn, I hadn't thought about that. So now I've got to make up an answer. I, I can actually want to remind me Orlando. It can only be positive, right? It can yeah. absolutely only be positive. The amount of people that have um, contacted me, whether that be corporates talking about, could we do it again? Whether that be individuals saying, wow, that's motivated me. I know Jan's had even more um, people communicate with him about the fact that they've been inspired. They want to do it. How do I get into it? Um, my my stepdaughter, um, uh, her both her parents have worked in in Formula One. Um, she, um, you know, sort of had enough of Formula One in a way. She's completely refound her love for motorsport through the film, and she's not the only one, right? And that wasn't me to make, taking her to the cinema and getting her to watch it. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people in the way that Drive to Survive worked, right? For Formula mm. One, it's really Formula One. It's made up. Yeah. So is this. I can't see it having a bad impact on, on sim racing. So good is the, the short answer. And does sim racing need that right now? Sim racing... Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it's a roller coaster in the last few years. Well, not only a roller coaster, there is a, there is a chart which is called the Gartner Hype Curve, um, which, which explains normally about technology or, or, or new, new products. You know, at the beginning, it, it's, it's low down. No one knows about it. It gets massively hyped up. Everyone's raving about it. You know, I don't know, Bitcoin maybe could have been it, or blockchain could have been a good example. This is the thing, this is the future. And then it drops off to um, what's called the trough of disappointment or the trough of disillusionment. Um, and then it slowly climbs up over time to a reasonable level of its natural position in the world or its natural market share or its natural thing. And I think that the guy on the hype curve is a great way to explain sim racing, but with a boost on it, which was COVID, right? I mean, mm. it, 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 you put rocket fuel on, on sim racing at that point, and there was this massive over-expectation. You know, I, I say I was running the Mercedes and what was then was it Aston Martin by that point, can't remember, esports teams. By the end of COVID, like, people can do it for nothing. Right? The, 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 people were coming in, all sorts of projects, saying, well, we'll, we'll do that. Right, because the, you know, suddenly we need to get a foothold in this space, and you can go and look at share prices of companies or or, or you know progress of companies. You know, a, a good example um, would be, I guess, would be Quadrant, which you think would be set up to be a sim racing project. You know, then you know, sort of manifested into a gaming project and and merch, and is now a content platform for athletes. So everyone's pivoting on the idea, and in the wasteland that's behind that is sim racing you know max is you guys all know max is online on a monday i have to tell people this i don't you know what numbers is max getting on his on his early streams not very big right because even though his max just happen mm. and because people aren't necessarily interesting in in that so i absolutely think that sim racing needs to reinvent itself we've got two issues big issues that i mean there's lots of issues we could do another podcast on this with it maybe you should do it with a panel you know the future of the future of esports racing uh, sim racing, whatever you want to call it, gaming, online, uh, whatever, whatever name we want to use this this week. E-racing um, e is my favourite. Oh, please tell me now. 
literally kill me now. Um, uh, I, I think that, you know, I think it's, everyone knows, right? There's no secret. F1 Esports is paused. You know, I, was, I spent the last five days with four Formula One teams, not on gaming stuff only, you know, on lots of other things that we're doing. And um, they're all you know, just like, they're, 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 we need to race. So, you know, I'm not going to go into the details of what's happening. Board, there, but it's absolutely insane. Whether you like F1 Esports or not, it is the barometer of what's going on. If we can't make as an industry, as a sport, as a, you know, a group of enthusiasts that we all are about uh, sim racing, if F1 Esports isn't happening, we're in big trouble. You know, and I'll give you another example. I, I've, I've offered my services for nothing to the FIA to help them understand what their strategy is going for because I think someone needs to get hold of this stuff, right? So the FIA is saying they were going to do it. I said, okay, I'll, I'll come and help. And then I've been corporated for the last nine months. I, I've basically given up. I said, okay, don't worry about it then. I can do it for free because I care. So I think it's in a really it's in a really bad place. There's so much. There's lots of people that have lost a lot of money, a lot of investors. There's lots of people that invest a lot of time and effort into it, and people don't forget that sort of thing. So I think there's a real uh, is a real problem. Um, it's so disparate. You know, we can talk about Ren Sport. You know, having their competition. Mm. Any any of the championship. You know, what viewers does, does the GT World Series get? Well, not many, as far as I can see. So there is a real problem, um, and I think the key people in the industry need to get around the table and try and sort it out. But whilst we have F1 esports not happening, I didn't even need to answer that question. Now, well, let, let me. Every, you know, I'm sure your listeners would tell me that. Well, actually, Darren, that's not sim racing. That's you know F1 esports. The community stuff is brilliant. I, I love it. You know, lots of people racing online. Lots of different communities. They're all being helped by our great friends at Brickfinder. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's brilliant, right? But to grow the sport need need, need something else. We, we we don't want to be fishing, right? Mm. No one watches fishing. Lots of people participate in it. We need both. And, and I think we should celebrate the fact that lots of people are participating. Out of Shot here is a very um, uh, cheap uh, simulator that I still have to have because it's just the... Uh, you know, you've got to have one in your office, right? Have to. Um, it's the law. Um, so yeah, there we are. You got to have it. Um, yeah, your your screen is wider than mine. But um, yeah. So, and it, do you know what? That might be enough. It might be enough that we we you know we all we all go and race against each other, and it's like then it's like club racing, isn't it? And if we don't need professional racing, then that's fine. If we're all happy with that, great. I think there's a space for that. Maybe there's a bit too much emphasis on it. Um, and at that level, at the professional level, at the level where people will need to commercialize stuff, it ain't working. Hmm. Well, you've answered my, my final question, which was going to be in the context of sim racing, does esports matter? It's uh, uh, mm, There you go. I think I answered that. Yes or no. I mean, yeah, I think if there there could be a place for it if it does well. It would be good to have a focal point. It would be good to have a a, a pinnacle that people can aspire to. It would be good to have this sense of credibility behind our our space with with a with an esport that's well branded. The problems are that it's disparate because sim racing is not like FIFA where there's one game. It's it's you know 
half a dozen games and each of them have their own championships and then there's third party championships and now the FIA are trying to get involved and the Motorsport UK is getting involved and it's just there's just so much piling into it that the audience is split doesn't know where to look there's no focal point and so everyone is still sim racing but they're not really bothering to watch the East Force because there's too many to watch so I shouldn't have answered that question because who cares what I think right it is what does the community think? Does the community think eSport is a good thing? Or is, is it fine? Let's just make the community racing, let's make you know competitive league racing better. And do we care if anyone's watching it, right? As long as we're having fun and, and it's well organized, it's well structured and, you know, it's progressing and, you know, there's more people coming in and, you know, the, the platforms are getting better and more realistic and the kits. Do we need it? I, I, I genuinely don't know the answer to that question because I've come... I, you know, it's a great way to to, get, to end, isn't it? I've come from playing an arcade game, mm. um, you know, pl- playing Gran Turismo for fun, but my main efforts have been to professionalise racing gaming. Let's let's not let's not call it sim racing or esports, racing gaming, and 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 use it as a as a tool to progress the genre. Um, so I don't know. I don't. Maybe esports is a bad thing. Maybe it sucks. All of the energy, life, funding, efforts, focus away from what everyone actually wants, which is we just want to race against each other. We just want to have you know, you know, fun, right? So in that respect, it's like club. I'm, I'm a club racer, by the way. I've raced, you know, uh, all, all sorts of different things at, at club level. Absolutely no uh, interest in or skill to get to another level. So it doesn't bother me. I, I, I don't mind. You know, brilliant. Go and watch Formula One. Actually, now I've stopped watching most racing unless I need to be there for work. Um, you know, I live five minutes or, or 15 minutes from Silverstone. I wouldn't go and watch the touring cars there. I used to love the touring cars. So not for me to answer. I think it's for your community to answer. Um, and Tom, what, what's the answer? You, you, you've got your finger on the pulse. Do, does sim racing need esports? I'm genuinely interested to hear. I think three years ago, I'd have said, of course, of course it needs esports. It needs to replicate the success of all the other gaming genres. But sim racing is not like all the rest of the other gaming genres. It's 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 split up. You can race GT3 cars on four different games, which means that esports is always gonna be is always gonna be competing against itself. And sim racing has a blessing and a curse, right? A double edged sword. And that's how similar it is to real world motorsport. For us getting in the rig. And feeling the car through the steering wheel and, and getting your 110 kilos of brake pressure on your your, your, your Asetek brake set or whatever it is allows you to really feel the immersion of experiencing racing. Getting that adrenaline rush on the start line or going three wide up a Rouge and thinking, Christ, and your heart rate starts going and you start to really understand what racing is. That's fantastic. That's what sim racing is all about. The downside to sim racing is that it's almost motorsport, which means as a viewer, you always have the option to watch motorsport or almost motorsport. It's not sufficiently different because it's a simulation. Its strength is exactly its weakness. And so esports, I don't think it's a natural fit, which is what Gridfinder is all about, right? It's about the 99.9% of people who race to feel it not the 0.1% who are grinding and grinding and grinding to be the the pros in this space because the pros that we love to watch are the Max Verstappens, 
because they do it with the the element of danger that you can't recreate in sim racing. So I don't know. If you ask me again in three months, I might change my mind. <laughs> do, do you know what? That is the best piece of free consultancy you're ever going to give me. That's going to turn up in a PowerPoint presentation at some point in front of someone. <laughs> it's it's a I, I, I genuinely, and I said at the beginning, I think of that that question. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Um, and and like, you've just given a brilliant answer. And if, if I listen to your answer, the answer is no. Mm. We don't. We don't. We don't need esports. We don't need esports. Well, you know, it's it, you, what, you a, know. what a cliffhanger to leave on. I know. Well, Darren, it, you, we're three minutes over. Mm. This this has been oh, absolutely it, it, it's a, it, the call I'm missing. Uh, the three minutes I'm into is just corporating. So corporating. I thought it'd be corporating. <laughs> yeah, corporating this one. So that's why I let it overrun. If it was something interesting, I'd have been gone five minutes ago. Well, I won't say what time or date it is then, in case. No, exactly. Yeah, please don't. It was a Sunday, right? Yeah, of course. It's always working on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Again, grinding it out. Darren, if you've got any more questions, go on. Five more minutes, if you need it. Oh, (laughs) five more minutes. Oh my goodness, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting five more minutes. Okay, well, um, Well, I think that the 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 bombshell, the 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 Top Gear S bombshell, was Tom telling us on his own podcast that we don't need esports, and me agreeing with it. Which, but what what does that look like? You know, and again, it's a really interesting point that when you are in the 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 trough of disillusionment, that whatever it is the technology, the company, the mm-hmm. product has to reinvent itself in a way, as it won't grow. It'll just stay in the trough of disillusionment. So, what is what does sim racing, esports, online racing, you know, whatever we want to want to call it, uh, what does it need to do to to, to keep progressing, or, or doesn't it? Is it is it just well, fine as it is for me? It, we double down on its superpower and its superpower is the emotions that it can invoke in in those who do it right so you know it you and i know that there's a, there's a big uh motorsport series that we're talking to at the moment on on grid finder to try and promote their brand through sim racing and, and what we haven't done is say right well we're going to do a tournament and it's going to be a huge prize pool and the, the winner is going to get to do a drive in your in your series and we're going to do we're going to get the best 20 drivers and they're going to race and people are going to watch right because then you have 20 people feeling it and probably two to four thousand people watching it right and so those two to four thousand people are going to have this very passive experience with your brand and those 20 people will feel the the that the activation but they're doing activation after activation after activation because they're the best in the world and so what we should really do is create a space where the two to four thousand or twenty to forty thousand people can get involved in the racing so that they can build this positive emotive connection with your brand because on a wednesday night they don't go to the pub and say oh what did you do yesterday oh, i saw this great brand for i don't know pringles it was amazing but if you did oh, i did i did this um this pringles hot lap challenge yesterday and my mate is 0.04 seconds above me and i just cannot beat him this goddamn pringles thing i said pringles twice in the pub because i've been you know i've, I've been, i'm engaged in this in this world that i care about right so for me it's all about participation it's about doubling down on its superpower not trying to make it something that it's not which is a spectator sport because you're always competing against motorsport well maybe my analogy with fishing was the right one then because fishing in the uk is the biggest participative participative sport but (laughs) no one watches it on tv so maybe my analogy was absolutely right and then you can make the show on british tv so apologies if anyone isn't in britain which is um paul whitehouse and um, bob mortimer fantastically (laughs) successful tv they happen to be fishing but it isn't about the fishing. That's just a backdrop. So there's something in that. Right. Note to self is I'm going to do Alan Partridge. 
Program up. Program up. Lynn, Lynn, take this down. <laughs> program idea. Um, fishing meets sim racing. You heard it here first. Right? You heard it here first. That's a, so is that an idea that I came up with? Or was the, did Lynn, I join the thoughts? Jeremy so, Clarkson and Susan Boyle present. <laughs> yeah. But go go sim racing because it's called go fishing. I think it's actually called go fishing. So go sim racing. There we are. Right. There we go. Cut, Great. Cut, that out, cut that out of the podcast because that's the new big idea. That is right? gold. Absolute gold. Isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't mention, you know, because uh, I'm just recording this whole podcast on my fantastic Elgato um, microphone. So, you know, it's brilliant that brands are involved in, in sim racing and uh, you, you, the participative sport. So what you've just basically, which would then cause a riot amongst the listeners here and the people that enjoy Sim uh, Sundays, is what you've just described, then we can leave it on the, the bombshell, mm-hmm. is F1 Arcade. They hit the sweet spot in our space, I think. Because I, I, I went and tried it when in the first week that it opened, um, and I thought, ugh, this is rubbish. Every time I, I, it feels loose and I just keep getting pushed back on the track and, you know, I haven't lost control once and it's unrealistic. And I looked around and there were 80 to 100 people in sim rigs having the most amazing time, laughing with each other, spinning around, drinking beer, having food. And they just, they just capture the fun so well. I mean, since I, by the way, since I've been, if you're a sim racer, listen to this and you're considering it, since I've been, they've now put the esports modes in where there's, you know, traction control is at medium and abs is off and there's no brake assist there's no steering assist but when i first started it was all just for your total casual like it was daytona on speed right it was that's that's essentially what's wrong with daytona it got me in we're back to the beginning beginning. beginning. yes Um, it that was my gateway drug and i absolutely agree with you those people are going there they're participating they're enjoying what we do on a really simple basis that would then potentially get them to do other things so there we are. Now you need to get your uh, podcast sponsored by F1 Arcade. One thing I would say that F1 Arcade needs to do, free bit of consultancy if you're listening, <laughs> make it a bit more F1, the, the environment. You know, stick it in Birmingham, they've got a car on, on the ceiling made by the very nice people at um, Memento Exclusives. <laughs> Go to the F1 Authentic site, have a look at <laughs> what they've got on there. Um, you might might guess that I do some work with those really nice people. No, um, and the riddles again. <laughs> yeah, there we are. But uh, there we go. That, that's a, that's the brilliant answer. Um, uh, that 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 is a great way of getting involved in our sport. A really simple way, and hopefully that will bring fans into sim racing, but also motorsport. Well, we've had uh, Ollie, co-founder of F1 Arcade, on the show uh, just as um, the venue in London um, opened. So. If you want to hear his story about his incredible career, um, probably one of the few people on this show who matches the creativity of, of Darren Cox, if I'm being honest, um, it, it was an it was an ent- he, was, he started out as a as an entertainer as a as a comedian, um, and he just loved entertaining his friends, and he just started little entertainment venues, and he went on and on and on until he eventually he's been involved in the F1 arcade. But his his episode is absolutely fantastic. The backdrop to his episode, he's up, up in some chalet with this beautiful mountainscape behind him because he just was he was skiing because he just loves fun. And he talks all about F1 Arcade and what it's trying to be. And it's fantastic. So if you haven't listened to that, dear viewer, go back and, and have a look at that. Um, Darren, this well, is in, a- in the last 10 minutes, we got plenty of plugs in there, haven't we? We did. 
That was the court. That was the courting bit at the end. We made sure we got all the yeah, yeah. Going to go back to another episode. Yeah, yeah. Fair tech. Dave Cam. We spoke about Dave Cam. Uh, he's all. There's an episode of Dave Cam on here. Anyway, right. We'll, I'll stop this. Um, Darren, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation and getting to know you and your story. So thank you for for spending time with me and our listeners on the Sim Sundays podcast. It's been brilliant because I don't always get to talk just about sim racing, gaming, whatever. There's always some sort of edge. So uh, to to go through that has been uh, has been really entertaining and yeah, made me realise how much that uh, you know, I love the space and how much it owes me, um, and I owe it. So there, yeah, there we go. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you being with us. Cheers.